Jonathan Lebrass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is the proprietor, owner-operator of Advanced NFL Stats, and a current member of the Stats and Info team at ESPN.com, Brian Burke. And what follows, Brian Burke provides a sort of status update on the state of football analytics. I ask him about some of the more popular stats at Advanced NFL Stats, for example, uh, a generic winning percentage, team, offense, and defense efficiency ratings, and then expected points added numbers uh, for positional players, such as quarterbacks, etc. I ask him where those are now and what the plans are in the future to integrate them uh, at ESPN. I propose some of the recent dismissals in the NFL, for example, both the president and GM of the Detroit Lions and also the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts. I ask him, what are the influences of those roles in the NFL as compared uh, to the major leagues? Of course, Burke also does not hesitate to comment on the current football season. Both the Carolina Panthers and Denver Broncos are undefeated entering this uh, weekend of play. What do the analytics tell us about those particular teams? They've overachieved. They're probably not number one, number two in the league. As far as team strength goes, they're probably somewhere in the top 10. I think right now we have Denver at number six and the Panthers at number 10. So their their record is a little, little bit misleading. That and more in the conversation with uh, Brian in what follows. Uh, before we get to that, a brief note. I would be remiss and also in breach of contract not to note, not to note that our sponsor today is Draft and the Draft app. Are you familiar with DraftKings or FanDuel, those are daily fantasy sports games. Draft is also a daily fantasy sports game. Unique, however, and that is the first uh, designed for the mobile experience. Here is how you play. Uh, On any given day, you will find an opponent, be it a friend of yours or an internet stranger, already part of the draft universe. You conduct a snake draft. Each select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points, and whichever of you or your opponent accrues the most total fantasy points uh, finds him or herself the winner. Are you confident in your ability to win? Congratulations, you are allowed, you are able to wager real American currency. How do I uh, get involved in this sort of thing, Carson, you might ask yourself. Well, allow me to inform you. If you're the sort of person who owns a smartphone with the iOS operating system, the iOS operating system, uh, don't hesitate to go to the App Store. Conversely, if, you're, uh, if your phone uses uh, the Android operating system, then you might consider going to Google Play or something like Google Play. You can download the app there and begin immediately. You can play for free, too. You don't need to wager or anything like that. And while this is a baseball podcast, of course, and the baseball season is over, Draft also offers uh, games uh, for NFL football, college football, NHL hockey, and NBA basketball. Do not hesitate uh, to download that application. That is, uh, With that, I have concluded the sponsor's message. I've almost also concluded this introduction. What I need to say, though, what I need to say is that this, uh, what is it, this is Fangraphs Audio. It features football analyst Brian Burke, uh, and it begins right now. Yeah, that I was on. That's a boring story, uh, but it, it, the point is, like, uh, I had to do a Skype interview, and I wanted them to know that I, um, I had to do a Skype interview with like a class at BC, and I okay. wanted them, I wanted them to understand that I'd been on television once. <laughs> do you understand? Because because people, yeah. res- well, I don't know if respect is the right word. People respect that you have appeared on television. Yes. They like Kardashian worship. Yeah, it, type thing. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't even. Yeah, I don't necessarily know. 
I don't know what it is, but it maybe it's because what it's such a well, most people have a television, I suppose, and if you can somehow appear on the other side, I guess because what a certain amount of money and time has been invested in you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess that's it. I I I would be. I'm sure someone has answered the question. Why do we necessarily feel? Why is there a? Why does one acquire a glow uh, simply by having appeared on television? Have you appeared? Have you been on television? Yeah, a um, few times and uh, live national television uh, just a f- few weeks ago, and um, uh, I was nervous. My God, yeah. For 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 ESPN dot com for ESPN for ESPN the network. For yeah, for the ESPN, the part of ESPN that's going out of business, yeah. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> the TV part. Now the uh, uh, NFL Live, so that the like it's like the afternoon regular afternoon football show, Talking Heads and stuff. And Brian Burke was on it. I was on it, yeah. So the Broncos had um, higher. Uh, the Broncos have a uh, an analytics 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 guy on staff, and they decided to put him in the booth during the games uh, to help with some game management stuff. And uh, that was, you know, part of the news of the day, I guess. It was a slow news day. And um, uh, actually, it wasn't a slow news day. It was the day Geno Smith had his jaw broken in the locker room, as a Jets quarterback, and in a locker room fight. So I got bumped and bumped and bumped, and finally they put me on at the end of the show. And then and, uh, did, you, did you wow did you wow the masses? I it was it was really awkward because it was scripted. It was too scripted. So they said, you know, there's a lot of back and forth on the phone during the day, and they said, and they finally said, okay, here are the three questions we're going to ask you. Mm-hmm. And they were they asked those three questions, and that was pretty much it. And then and I had so I prepared. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. And um, normally, as you may know, I go on too long. I talk and talk and talk. Oh boy, do. Boy, do I, I, I know. This, I love the sound of my voice. And so I, I really overcompensated with like really short, semi-scripted answers. Yeah. And um, I blink too slow, I'm told. <laughs> the uh, the blinking, this is something that has been revealed. or It's not, it's not something I would have ever noticed until, uh, of course, Fangraph's managing editor, Dave Cameron, made a series of television appearances. And uh, what readers have noted about Dave Cameron is that he doesn't blink at all. Uh, and which, which, which question, it raises questions about the degree to which he's human, which are questions that were being asked already. Um, now when you say you blink slowly, do you, do you mean, uh, um, blinks per minute or do you leave your eyes closed for longer than you would, than people seem to? Right. So the, yes, the, the, int, the inter blink duration is okay. It's the, the duration of the blink process that, so when I'm thinking, you know, kind of some people look up and to the right or you know, kind of when I'm thinking of something to say, I'm trying to remember something. I guess my eyes kind of, you know, my eyelids will go down as I think. So that was my. <laughs> that was your doing. Said, well, yeah. I will tell you that I, I learned something from watching uh, another colleague, Jeff Sullivan, on because um, it's weird because uh, um, when he I, I'm assuming his appearance was similar to mine. Maybe it's similar to yours. You're just in a room looking at a very small camera. And maybe you have some sort of audio feed in your ear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, you, um, because the, well, the camera I know certainly which I was looking was quite small, and I I felt I would not have felt any 
compunction about just looking around the room because there's nothing really about the camera that is there to catch your eye. But then I noticed when, uh, uh, again, my colleague Jeff Sullivan, uh, when when he had made an appearance, he looked around the room a little bit too. And whatever whatever, it's an unsettling effect because you're so, because you keep wondering what he's looking at. As a viewer, and again, that's another. It's sort of the aesthetics of television, I guess, which uh, you yeah. realize that there is a sort of artifice to it that you're not privy until you're actually experiencing it. Yeah, you get better and better at it, and I've, I've done some things since then. And you kind of work the camera. You look. At, so I've done this studio thing too, where I'm in the, I'm on a, at the desk, at kind of like the sports center desk, and there's a sports center host that's asking me questions, and so there's this kind of weird, like the audience is part of the conversation and you know kind of like i glance and look at the camera and then glance and kind of respond to him for a moment so he asks a question i i'm looking at him and then i'm talking to him just for a minute and then you kind of slowly kind of turn your eyes <clears throat> and you work uh. the camera and then i go back to him and back and so you're kind of including the the audience in the in the conversation it's, it's there's a skill and a whole – I mean, you could probably take – I'm sure there are classes and classes. I think there are literally, yeah. I yeah. think there are broad, whole broadcasting programs. Yeah, and then you go uh, – I'm terrible. I mean, I'm just awful at it, but I'm just learning these things. And then when he kind of signs off and he goes, okay, thank you very much for your time and everything. And then you, if you just kind of keep staring at him, it looks really weird. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so you have really actually, lingering on Carl you, Ravitch or whoever. Yeah, you, you're just kind of like, wow, is that – is that a real hair? No, it's not. <laughs> you know, that is a hair piece. No, you have to look. You have to look out at the crowd, at the cameras, yes. right? So as he kind of signs off, you, you look to the camera, and there's two cameras. You don't know which one to look at, and then you look really, really weird if you look at the wrong one. And uh, yeah, the funny part of the when I was like the talking head, you know, similar to that your picture there, I was. They kept telling me beforehand, whatever you do, don't swivel in the chair. Like, well, why do you have a chair that swivels? Like, well, <laughs> get a better. Like, and so I'm like the whole time, the whole time I'm, you know, on screen, I'm like, don't swivel, don't swivel, don't, don't swivel. swivel. Yeah. And of course, as soon as they go, thank you very much. I'm like, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You know, I, I like turn to get up because you know, my natural reaction. And yeah. so the chair swivels. Now it's just like, oh, God. <laughs> Burke. Uh, so listen. Um, this actually dovetails nicely with uh, the, what I want, uh, how I wanted to start uh, with you, uh, which was to ask you, I guess, first of all, uh, what what has happened to? Because we haven't spoken for. I'm going to say it's too long, Brian Burke. I'm going to say it's too long. Sure. Um, but what happened to? Well, first, advanced NFL stats, which became advanced football analytics, and um, and now, I guess, is not. I mean, it still exists, but it's not being updated. And because now you're you are at ESPN, which is why you're appearing on. Uh, you're now a famous television personality. Yeah, yeah, I can go through that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell me, tell, so tell me what happened and what. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Let's bring bring us through that. Okay. Well, uh, I guess uh, for a couple of years now, ESPN's been interested in you know adding me, adding my models. Uh, to their analytics team. They already have a, a small group and they do multiple sports, not just football, but mainly football, basketball, and a um, little bit of soccer. And they were courting me for a couple of years. Uh, I can't, I'm kind of homebound here outside DC. I can't, I can't really move. Um, so uh, they let me work from home. We worked it out where they, uh, I work out of DC 
and they purchased exclusive rights to all my models and hired me full time. Uh, so I'm part of the analytics team up there. Uh, the website is still alive. It's an archive of all the, I think there's nearly 2000 articles on there. And, um, the, uh, but, but we're bringing, bringing all the models, all the stats, everything over to ESPN slowly, uh, one at a time. Okay, and this happened when is it? Sometime this summer or, or spring? Yeah, I started uh, in June. So um, I went back to school. So the last couple of years, I, I quit the day job and did a combination of things. So I, I was studying uh, some operations research, and I was um, uh, at the same time doing consulting for teams. Yeah. And some other stuff too for some media for NBC Sports and New York Times and uh and ESPN as well. So Were you also uh, writing a, a weekly Washington Post article that was routinely uh followed, <laughs> followed by yeah. by comments <laughs> with yeah. filthy, filthy language? Those comments were very hateful. <laughs> uh, that was that was a few years ago. And um it, that was yeah, I think I had a three year run. In the post, and they eventually it got in the paper too. So it was actually made the jump to to the Dead Tree edition on Sunday mornings. So um, big edition. I, I was free free from the. They can't send you comments. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure the, through the paper. Yeah, the, the barrier for for entry is is higher uh, yeah, for for yeah. bile. Um, it's funny. It's funny. ESPN though, since I made the jump. So before ESPN. I would get fan mail, like fan emails or tweets and things, and so it's like, wow, this is the first time I've seen, you know, this kind of different take on football. This is really eye-opening and innovative, and I really love what you do. And that was, you know, 99% of the kind of fan mail I'd get. And now I'm with ESPN, I get hate mail. Like mm-hmm. the, people just love. There's this cottage industry of just hate for ESPN, and I understand that. But there's <laughs> people. It's it's a TV station. I mean, people just hate, love to hate. Um, no, is it, is it is it? Have they found things to hate about you as well? I don't think. Well, no, well <laughs> there's, a, there's a big menu um, there, but yeah, mostly it's just, you don't know anything. You're an idiot. How can oh, yeah. they? You know, put, how do you call yourself an analyst and yeah. sort of thing? Yeah. But it's more, you criticize somebody's team or let's say right now Tom Brady is, does not rank as highly as people would expect in this metric called QBR, which ESPN, it's largely based on a lot of the things I, I developed, but it, they made it before I joined ESPN and they, uh, Tom Brady doesn't score as highly as you would, a lot of Patriots fans would like. And so even though he might be second or third on the list, he's not number one and people will hate you just for that. Right, because it does not – yeah, right, and this is a thing that happens and probably speaks to um, something more substantial in the human brain, which is what, um, when results or when analysis does not match um, a certain conviction that we have, uh, it is it is frustrating, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, I guess – I guess you have two choices, or you you can. It's not an either or situation. You can be you can do both, and uh, you can feel bad on the inside, or you can unleash your uh, confusion in the form of anger on someone else. Yeah. So, I, all right. So you're getting yeah. You're a deep thinker, so I'll get deep with you. Oh yeah, listen. I know. <laughs> like I think so. I think emotionally, anger and fear 
are the same thing. The kind of anger is, is a, is kind of like an outward fear and uh, an out acting fear, right? So if I, um, what they really do is they fear they're attached. Their identity is attached to the, to the Patriots or all fans really. What's going on is they're attaching their identity to this team. So when that team does well, they feel like they're doing well when the team's not doing well. And so they can brag to their friends, Hey, my team's doing better than your team because they've attached their identity to that team, right? So if that player <clears throat> ESPN is kind of like this authority because mm-hmm. it's such a loud voice. It just dominates the, the sports landscape. So it's kind of this authority. And when they, when Tom Brady or whatever player is not ranked number one, it's a fear thing. Like I, I'm, they're afraid that they're, it's, it's affecting their identity. And so, <clears throat> pardon, the, the outward expression of that fear becomes anger. And that's my deep, deep, deep thought of the day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably, uh, people have choices or natural predispositions, predispositions to how much of their fear translates to anger. Because I know, I know that I mostly there's probably a, there's a there's a there's a law of conservation there, right? A certain amount of the fear is translated to anger. I know that I keep mine uh, as fear. It's mostly still pure distilled fear uh, that I'm just keeping to myself. I think is yeah. another strategy, and uh, just, just bottle it up. Yeah, Carson. or just keep love, it bottled um, up. <laughs> a lot of fetal do a lot of work from the fetal position. <laughs> yeah, um, you, all these things are kind of we're all projecting. Like that's how I feel. That's how I deal deal with fear and anger. That's how I think of it inside me. So I'm projecting that everyone else, every troglodyte on the internet who's <laughs> sending me hate mail, must feel exactly the same way I do. Uh, so, so, so some of the cool stuff um, that was always that was always available. At, um, I'm going to call it advanced NFL stats. Is that all right? Just because that's how I yeah. that's how I yeah. remember it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the that's the version of it to which I've attached my identity. Um, first of all, there was the there's the weekly efficiency ratings, um, and you had the the generic win percentage right for each team, which is the GWP, mm-hmm. um, and then you had the the offensive and defensive ranking, and that was always uh, so cool because you know again frequently it would confirm some things we'd seen. Also, there were uh, there were always surprises as well, and and um. So I'm guessing. Here's my question: Is that has that made its way over to ESPN? Uh, so yet, and if not, when and if, or if and when will we see that? Uh, y- yes, sort of. That was a pretty basic um, model, and you know, part of part of its charm, I guess, was the, its simplicity. Um, but uh, now ESPN, one of the, the first projects I worked on when I showed up there, is they have this thing called FPI, Football Power Index. Everything has has to do with power, I guess. And, power is important. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, um, power rankings, all that stuff. So the football power index is replaces that, and it, but it's a far more advanced, um, much more complex model. It does a better job um, in a lot of ways and a lot of things. And um, so that's our that's the you know it, it does the the team rankings. It does you know game predictions. Um, and then it's the basis for those those predictions. Those game probabilities get uh, put into a, a season simulator, and then so we can make playoff projections and Super Bowl projections and uh, those sorts of things. Yeah. Well. Okay. So that's what I was going to ask you about was the probabilities as well, um, uh, because that was also that was a big part of advanced NFL stats, and that was that was also appearing what in a weekly form uh, at the New York Times as well at one point. Yeah, that had a good run. Um, it, 
you know, I think after five years, it became fairly predictable. You know, you knew you, people could tell what the probabilities were going to be for each team. Um, and there's, you run out of novel things to write about. Oh, this week, you know, the, the Giants play the Jets and blah, blah, blah. So it had a good run, but yeah, it, it went away uh, a couple years ago. Um, but, uh, yeah, things, it, it sort of lives on. It's, this is a diff, this ESPN model is, is better in a lot of ways, but it loses the simplicity, uh, that, um, the simplicity made it very transparent. Mm-hmm. And so you could look into the model and see uh, what, what's making a team so good and what's making this team so bad. What, what things here are very random explanations for why this team appears so good and and so those things may not continue they're not reliable into the future some things are consistent and not random not luck based and so we can project so that the the simplicity of the model kind of gives it that gave it this transparency that i think a lot of people appreciated uh the espn model um is it's proprietary uh unfortunately that i mean that's just the reality of how these things work and um, we try to make it as transparent as we possibly can without, you know, posting everything on GitHub. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and so, uh, but you, so you have to contend with that. That if you want yeah. to, it seems as though, and this is a decision that uh, people have to make in their lives. Uh, if you want, if you want to be in a situation where you are. Um, where you're being compensated for your contributions to ESPN, that it's, uh, it's, there's a necessity that, uh, it, it, some of it will be proprietary. Yeah. Yeah. No, no doubt. I, I think we, ESPN has no, we have no problem telling people exactly how it works and explaining it in a level of detail that would easily allow somebody to, um, recreate it and fully understand exactly what's going into it. There are no secrets. There's no secret. Formula, like this model is EPA per play, right? Expected points added per play. It's sure, kind sure, of, yeah. you know, there's a cap on the, you know, if you have a pick six, that might be like a 10 point EPA play. Those are, we, we cap it. It's kind of truncated because those things are just not repeatable. Um, uh, that's a little, it's opponent adjusted and, uh, home field advantage is thrown in and a few other things, days of rest. Uh, the quarterback is a big, part of it. So um, if a quarterback gets injured or is benched and his backup comes in, that's going to have a big effect on how the team performs. And so that's part of the model. And that's basically it. So um, there's no real secrets, but you know that's the first thing. People start throwing rocks at it and saying, well, it's just it's a black box, so we don't trust it. We don't like it because our team's not number one. Right. Well, I was going to ask you a question because I know uh, no, I haven't. You may you may uh, have heard that the baseball season uh, recently ended, but until then, it was going quite strong, uh, and that certainly demanded some of my attention. So I have not dedicated that much time uh, to the NFL, which is in part why I wanted you here, so that I would, uh, I would, and perhaps our listeners uh, would become more thoroughly acquainted with what's going on in the NFL. I do yeah. know, I do know that the uh, the Denver Broncos are an undefeated team, one of three or four, maybe. Does that sound right? Uh, I think there are, let's see, there's Patriots, Panthers, um, Broncos, and Bengals. Bengals. So four. Yeah, Unexpected, yeah. Four. And um, um, I, I happen to have been looking at, because as you mentioned, uh, that the quarterback is um, is one variable that uh, figures uh, um, with some consequence in the 
in the mm-hmm. computation, both of the, the 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 generic win probabilities that used to produce for advanced NFL stats. Also, now it sounds like for for the power index. And I, I happen to have been looking over the um, just at uh, Football Reference at the but uh, you know average yards per attempt. Which is, mm-hmm. which is, that's really like, um, that's a foundational stat for, for quarterbacks. There's a pretty high correlation, right, between yards oh, per yeah. attempt or what you might call net yards per attempt, which includes sacks yeah. as well. Um, yeah. yeah. And their relationship, and the relationship to points scored and to wins. Yeah, if you had to hang your hat on one stat that was going to give you what you, you know, tell you what you needed to know about how good a team is, that would be it is yards per attempt passing in the NFL really dominates and um, total yardage is, is, you know, um, misleading for a lot of reasons, but teams that are behind start throwing a lot at the end of the game. Uh, they, they accumulate a lot of trash yardage after the game's largely decided there's turnovers of course as part of it. But if you had to hang your hat on one thing, yeah, it would be uh, yeah, yards per attempt in the passing game and on the offense and defense. So that's going to tell you a lot. Well, so I happened to notice uh, two things, um, or one thing that applied to to two different quarterbacks, is that uh, both uh, both Peyton Manning and Cam Newton, these are the quarterbacks for Denver and Carolina, the undefeated uh, Denver and Carolina teams, respectively. Uh, they're mm-hmm. both in, you know, roughly the they're in the second half of all quarterbacks by by net yards per attempt. Yeah. Um, and so that, so I see there creates a bit of cognitive dissonance there where I see that they've done well in terms of winning both teams, but that their quarterbacks are necessarily, uh, gaining the sort of yards per play that one might expect. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I guess, um, I guess my question was, are those teams, uh, are those teams actually that good? And, uh, or is maybe the, uh, or at least is maybe, uh, their future, uh, unlikely to be as good as their present? Uh, both. So, the, you're looking at their offensive yards per attempt, but right. look at their defense as well. So the defense are very good. So they should be, I would expect those two teams, Denver probably number one. Um, not sure where the Panthers would rank, but probably very highly. So that's what's driving the, the wins there. I would also say that they're, they've overachieved. They're probably not, um, number one, number two in the league. As far as team strength goes, they're probably somewhere in the top 10. I think right now we have Denver at number six and the Panthers at number 10. And, um, so their, their record is a little, um, a little bit misleading, but you know, we're only, you know, a few games into the season, right? Uh, uh, halfway, a little less than halfway into the season. So, uh, that's only eight games. Um, you know, imagine in the baseball season, you know, making judgments on teams eight games in, it would be, it would be kind of preposterous, but that's what we try to do, try to do in football. Uh, another thing is that somehow Carson Palmer uh, appears yeah. to have acquitted himself as at least through eight games, as you mentioned, uh, as one of the best quarterbacks in the league, uh, at least based on performance, if not true talent. And uh, he has by like a half a yard uh, the highest net yards uh, per attempt. It's strange, though. Um, I don't know what the aging curve looks like for quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if it all resembles the aging curve for most baseball players, he ought to be uh, um, very much in the decline. He is a 36-year-old person, or at least mm-hmm. he's age 36 season. Uh, he might, I think he's 35, maybe technically. Uh, and he, uh, um, I mean, he, you know, he hasn't necessarily had a flawless career, um, and yet uh, he's he's doing this right now. What what has changed about him 
or I guess around the, the people around him to allow him to to be doing what he is doing. Well, he's got uh, he's got a solid, healthy offensive line. He's healthy himself. Um, he's always he's had Larry Fitzgerald there, uh, so he's got a great uh, cast around him now. Bruce Arians is the head coach there. He's a bit of an offensive wizard, uh, so all those things are clicking for them. Um, he's they've got a good defense. They've had a good defense in Arizona for a long time, so they. Um, you know, he doesn't have to take a lot of risks. So things are, things are firing on all cylinders. Yeah, the age thing, you know, quarterbacks are not, you know, their skills are typically not speed related. If, as long as you're not Michael Vick or, or a quarterback like that, the speed is what really declines over time, um, over age. Uh, quarterbacks age peak, the aging curve peaks at age 28, 29. It's pretty flat though. Um, so if you're a, uh, if you're a good quarterback, um, you can, you can stick around a long time as long as you're not getting, getting too beat up. Mm, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess congratulations to Carson Palmer. I don't really have no, uh, skin in the game, but, uh, I guess it's good when people succeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, zero sum. Somebody's getting beat. Right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Although I guess it's a variety of people who are being beat and one person who's being successful. Uh, so, so many yeah. people shoulder that particular burden of making Carson Palmer, uh, somehow better than he's ever been. Yeah. Deep, another second deep thought of the day. Bam. Uh, I think has happened. So there've been some firings recently in the NFL mm-hmm. and I, it's possible that I'm less interested in firings than what, uh, than what they may or may not represent. I think what the lions fired both their president and their general manager. Yeah. Just today. Yeah. Tom Lewand, Lewand, Lewand. Yeah. Lewand, Mark yeah, Mayhew. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, I, and then recently, uh, uh, the Colts fired their offensive coordinator. Yep, Pep Hamilton. Pep, Pep Hamilton, okay. Yeah, Titans fired uh, their head coach, Ken Wisenhunt. Okay. A lot of firing. Yeah, midseason firings. A lot yeah. of midseason firings. So, uh, oh, so, and Phil, Joe Philbin in Miami was an early casualty, yeah. And he was, uh, what was his position? Head coach in, in the Dolphins. Okay, the head Dolphins. coach of the Dolphins. All right. So let, let's start with the Lions first of all, because so in baseball, there the influence of the the general manager certainly in a lot of and in a lot of cases now uh, because of title inflation, we find that the it's actually the president, right, uh, yeah. who has the the sort of final say on baseball operations decisions. Uh, we know that that these individuals have a great deal of influence on both on the on the field product and on the sort of methodology utilized by the front office to to develop and to acquire players this is not shocking right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I i guess i'm i'm curious as to what um, to the best of your knowledge whether it's it, this is sort of borne out objectively or these are just observations you've made more anecdotally what is the what is the influence either of a team president or a gm or both on, on on either of those things, either what, what's going on behind the scenes or what we actually see on the field? Probably very, very little compared to baseball. Okay. So, um, you know, mostly what they do is they select the players and they select the coaches. Um, and uh, the coaches, depending on how much pull, how senior uh, that, that head coach is, you know, he may be able to select or at least have some say in who his coordinators are going to be and so on down the line. Um, but yeah, the personnel decisions are in front office. Uh, so that's yeah, GM, um, but different teams have it structured in different ways. So some of those, sometimes they're the one in the same, right? In new England, uh, the, the head coach is also the personnel guy. There are also some more awkward, 
kind of divisions of authority and responsibility in places like um, Philadelphia now, where the head coach Chip Kelly has player personnel decision making, um, drafting, but then kind of contract, salary negotiating, things like that are kind of ha- handled by a general manager. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's varying models uh, around the league about how how to get that done. Um, but it very very little. I worked with a team that was trying to push their head coach uh, more towards some of the advanced analytics stuff, and it brought me in to talk to him and show him some things. And he was receptive, but he was, it was not, it was obvious it was not his idea and he was kind of being pushed along. So I know it happens. I know there's, there's some, um, but, but it was kind of like, Hey, we're just going to expose you to this. We want you to let you know these tools are available. Uh, but they, um, but I think the, the, at least the smarter front offices are not, um, you know, micromanaging, uh, field level decisions. Okay, right. Yeah, not field level decisions, but it's but they might have more of influence in terms of like a player personnel. Yeah, yeah. So it's different. It's yeah, it differs. There's a whole spectrum of how much uh, responsibility. You know, there's joint responsibilities. There's uh, you know, they divide it up into um, pro player stuff. So when you're signing free agents, they're they divide it up into like self owned team, other team, pro personnel, and then they have amateur. You know, personnel, which is uh, draft picks and uh, undrafted free agent type guys. So, uh, you can split it up lots and lots of different ways. There's no one clear cut model. And then, and then, so we talked about, so that, so so you're saying that it seems as though there's more control. There has a tendency to be more control perhaps in the head coach, uh, in the head coach's hands. Um, and he might, and you mentioned Belichick, who I think, I feel as though, well, I don't feel as though I think this is a fact, is that Scott Piola used to be the general manager in the Patriots. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, at some point, what, Scott Pioli was fired or departed? or um, Yeah, he left uh, and became GM, the real GM, the full GM mm-hmm. at uh, Kansas City. So in New England, he was, yeah, he was the general manager, but the the player personnel decisions were made by Belichick. So that was one of those more awkward um, relationships where, you know, Belichick was really the the um, had the final say in you know, who we draft and who, who makes the team and uh, that sort of thing. But then all the rest of the general manager functions would fall under uh, Scott Pioli. And um, Scott Pioli, by the way, is a, he's he's a big fan of analytics. He really sees a lot of potential and he's very analytics friendly. Um uh, he's down in, I think, Atlanta right now, consulting for Atlanta. But, um, yeah, so one of the really, to me, the real interesting thing there about how you structure these front offices mm-hmm. is, uh, the time horizon. So a head coach has this very short time horizon. And so if you give him the power, what's likely to do in the NFL, just like maybe not as much as in baseball, but you can, you can borrow from the future. So just like you can with a credit card, you're basically borrowing from your future self. And um, so you can borrow from your future self team. And so if you're the if you have a short time horizon, you're likely to do that. And what's interesting is the the actual like the discount rate, the effective discount rate when like teams trade draft picks. Mm -hmm. So if I trade you, okay, you get a draft pick this year in exchange for a draft pick next year, like the value of that next year's pick 
is sky high. So I will, if I want a second round pick, I, this year, I have to give you a first round pick next year, roughly. Okay. And so that discount rate is crazy. It's like thousand percent or more. And, uh, teams really do this. They, and you can, you know, part, part of what I do is tracking those sorts of things and making those, making that analysis and figuring out what the, that discount rate is. And, uh, so teams, uh, and it, it really, you need a, so what you want to do and what, one of the keys to Belichick's success is he's on the other end of that deal. He's the house. All right. He's the credit card company. He's like, Oh, you want, you want to pay a thousand percent interest on this loan? I'll be happy to give you that loan. Sure. And, um, you know, which he, helps him to create a sort of long-term yeah. uh, feasibility. Right. Yeah, so he he's because he's kind of head coach for life, right? He has this enormous job security. He can he knows he's going to be around as long as he wants to be. So he's going to be there to reap those rewards. If you're on a two or three year contract, and if you're not winning now, um, or you know any kind of downturn in your team, you know one and six start or something is going to get the whole you know going to get you fired. Well, you're not you're you're going to play for the now and not worry about the the future. So that's to me a really interesting thing about how these front offices are structured and the contracts they give these guys. So I think the, the key to success, one of the keys to success, is having a long time horizon, setting up the structure so that the people that really have power and final say. Uh, ha- are invested in the long-term future of the team rather than uh, worried about the immediate future of the team. Right. Well, what, what it seems as though you're saying, and this is uh, this occurs in baseball as well, is that the um, sometimes the incentives uh, for for a head coach, for example, uh, to succeed in the short term are directly um, deleterious, directly contradictory to the to the yeah. long-term health of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. So what's stopping you know, if you're a head coach and you have personnel power in the NFL and you're on a two, you have two years left on your contract, well, yeah, you're going to trade away future draft picks in exchange for, you know, a guy that can help you win this year. And, but you're paying through the nose. You're really handicapping, kneecapping your, your, the team's future in the long term. Uh, so don't be that guy. Be, be the <laughs> team, be the team on the other end of the, uh, of that transaction. Um, and so what is, uh, in terms of the NFL draft, right? Obviously, uh, there have been models, um, created for the baseball draft looking at the, um, you know, the average production in wins, uh, for a player selected, you know, first overall versus 30th overall versus, you know, in the 10th round. And as, as you might expect, it's a pretty, um, I mean, it's a predictable relationship, um, with a bit of a spike towards the beginning of things, right? So like the first 15, like the first one through five picks are quite valuable. The first 15 are also rather valuable. And then there's a bit of a, the, the slope sort of uh, begins after that. So when do you get in the second round? Even, even by then, you do not necessarily find a lot of, of hits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I'm curious as to what the, um, well, it might it might involve having to have already converted everyone's performance into wins. So it'd be difficult. But what do you uh, what do you have a sense as the is the value of a of a first overall pick versus fifteenth overall versus second round, et cetera? Uh, so in in football draft, there the the value of the player declines. In a similar way, or it's very steep. Like the very first guys, you know, it's a, it's like a power law kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's extremely rare talent. There's very few of those 
types of players. And so that they do, they do a very good job of identifying the best players in the top of the draft. Um, but then it, it decreases sharply and then flattens out. Um, there's also a compensation curve because there are in the collective bargaining agreement, the salaries are more or less set based on where you're drafted. So it's easy for an analyst like me uh, to make the comparisons and find where the surplus value is in the draft compared to, um, you know, performance. So the performance value equation is maximized at the end of the first round, top of the second round. And the, the first guys to do that analysis were um, uh, Kent, Ken Massey and Richard Thaler. So the Massey-Thaler paper is a great read uh, if you're interested in that. And um, But it's it, the collective bargaining agreement has changed over the years, but that effect is still uh, still present. Um, but uh, one of one of the counter arguments to that, though, is that you can only, you can't you can't really field. I can't replace one quarterback, one great quarterback with two average quarterbacks, right? Mm-hmm. I need, I need to have, I need to compact all that, as much talent as I can into one singular player. Um, because I don't, I can only put 11 people on the field at, at one time. So there's kind of this value density consideration. Like I want as much value into a single player as possible. I can't, um, you know, it's not like having a bullpen full of ten guys or something like that. But right. It's, well, the uh, yeah, in the in the quarterback, it seems would be the position at which you're really looking to maximize value, right? Quarterback is such a imagine a baseball team where there's this one starting pitcher. I mean, mm-hmm. that's he would dominate the the um you know the, the team strength. You know, that would be the one thing that right. Really if there was a baseball dominates. game every week, essentially, if there was once yeah. a week on Sundays. Yeah, and, and that's and what that football really is. Yeah, yeah, it's it, football is really a hybrid between this individual sport and team sport. Um, you know, so you have individual sports like a tennis or golf, where you know the same best player shows up at the top of the you know the leaderboard or the the finals of the tournament every single time. Djokovic is in the finals every time unless he's hurt. You know, right. pretty much, and so you know you, you don't have to distribute any lesser talent on his team. He doesn't have a team of 10 other dudes, average guys that he needs to worry about whether they do their jobs or not. So, um, so the quarterback in football is, is kind of, it's this hybrid between team sport and this individual sport, just because the ball passes through his hands on every play and he makes, even on run plays, he's making decisions and audibles and things. So, um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, Almost have to do when you do an analysis like that, like that draft analysis. First thing you do is you set aside the quarterbacks because they they're pretty um, pretty aberrant in and terms then, of value. Right, and then what do you do? What do you do with a with a backup quarterback? What's the, what is the most? What's the smartest way to handle that? Because obviously you cannot uh, invest, as you said, you know you can't invest. Um, there's well, there are limited funds. You can't necessarily just get the second best quarterback in the league if you already have the first best. Uh, that would not be a wise use of funds because it's possible that your starting quarterback plays all 16 games and the backup never uh, never sees the field. At the same time, quarterbacks do get injured, of course, and um, the backup, the you know the, the the quality of the backup is going to largely define the strength of the team, just as the starting quarterback did. So, is there any sort of optimal strategy for for backup quarterbacks? It just get someone yeah. who's better than every, everyone everyone assumes. Well. It's a salary cap, right? So one of the big differences, football to baseball, right, is this, uh, is a hard salary cap. 
And so your, your constraints are different. Um, and, uh, so yeah, you can't really invest that much in, in a backup quarterback to begin with because, uh, that, that money is elsewhere on the field. So they're, um, you know, as far as all backups go, that would be the most important backup, um, certainly in terms of winning and losing. Um, but, uh, if you're, you know, if your quarterback goes down and you're winning because you, you're, you know, because of your quarterback, it's almost like, well, what's the point? I mean, any, you put a replacement level quarterback in and, um, pretty much all hope is lost at that point. You're not <laughs> going to win a Super Bowl with a backup quarterback. It has happened, but those are rare, very rare, rare teams. Those are teams that are just dominant defensive teams or running teams, which which don't really happen anymore. Um, these are just teams. abandon all hope, right? It's almost like why put any money in, and why not why not just get a strictly replacement level quarterback at that point, paying the league minimum. Um, there's other considerations too, like well, what if your quarterback's only out for a week or two, and you want to give yourself a chance to win uh, a couple, of, you know. Maybe he's out for four weeks and give your chance, team a chance to win one or two games. Aaron Rodgers, right? You're a Green Bay guy, right? If, if I recall. Uh, yeah, so, I, I, yeah. Well, I used to live in, uh, in Wisconsin, so it was impossible yeah. not to follow the team by virtue of living there. Right. He got hurt and, you know, they're such a, they are going to make the playoffs even, you know, let's say he's out for four games. He may, as long as his backup can win one or two, you know, they're still, going to win their division and stuff. So it's really complicated. It depends on the rest of your team and when the guy gets injured. And I'm sure that uh, that would be, you know, fruitful research, but it would be really hard to do. I'm sure you'd have to like simulate out seasons and things like that. Sounds like a lot of work, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. I don't um, want to do it. I don't want to do it. All right. Uh, yeah. Let me ask I'll put you my intern on it before, um, before I, uh, I allow you to leave. <laughs> for you fulfill your obligation. Let me ask you, what uh, what is the near future, do you think, in terms of analytics and, and specifically your work at ESPN? We've talked about the win probability models mm-hmm. and the um, you know the efficiency models, and those are pretty closely linked, obviously. Uh, are there sort of uh, other codes that you're attempting to crack at the moment? Well, as far as ESPN stuff goes, that, that's all fan-facing uh, type of analysis, sure. uh, you know, rankings and who's better than who. And, uh, we're bringing that the win probability charts, um, that, uh, inspired by fan graphs, of course, mm-hmm. um, they're going to sh- start showing up for football games. Um, at some point, that's the project I'm currently working on. And then, um, but as far as kind of the future of football analytics, I think, uh, you know, we don't have a war for, for football that, Football is just by nature is a very different kind of sport. I think that at least for now, we're not going to get purely objective measures of player valuation. Um, so if we want to do, you know, optimize roster construction type of analysis, we need player valuation numbers and we really don't have a purely objective number for, Hey, what this left tackle is a, he's a seven and this right guard, he's a two. I mean, we just don't have that. So I think. The future is a melding of a qualitative and quantitative. So where we have scouts and graders and experts, coaches who will grade out these players and they have a, you know, they'll put them on some scale and we'll use some, some fancy math to kind of calibrate that scale to make sure that like a guy who's an eight, it really is twice as good as a four, you know, kind of thing. And then we, uh, once we tease those out, now we have really good, 
um, valuation numbers for, for players and we can start doing some exciting stuff with roster construction. So I think that's the, the next frontier, um, uh, for, for football is kind of that melding between the qualitative and the quantitative. All right. Hey, Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, Carson, thank you. Yeah, why don't you uh, stick around for a moment, but, uh, um, but for the purposes of the podcast, we'll say goodbye. So I've said thank you. Uh, you are Brian Burke. You are, what is your official title now? Uh, senior analyst. Senior analyst at ESPN.com? At ESPN. That's right. And ESPN. You, you're, you're a television personality as well. I think that, that cannot be overlooked. It's Brian Burke of ESPN. Uh, I'm Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you.